bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. We got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016. I'll start off today wishing Senate Finance Committee Ranking Member Ron Wyden happy birthday. And to commemorate his birthday, I'll share some of his recently announced ideas on amending business depreciation rules later during the podcast. But before that, I'll start off with a brief look at the presidential primary races. Then, in our local housing tax credit section, I'll outline a new bill that would reform tenant screening and eviction policies for HUD-assisted properties specifically relating to tenants and potential tenants with criminal backgrounds. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I'll provide some details for an upcoming meeting of the CDFI Fund's Community Development Advisory Board. And then in our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll discuss a recent legislative hearing on Ohio's State Historic Tax Credit Program and a proposal to turn the tax credit program into a cash grant. And I'll close out with the Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, where I'll give you an overview of a legislative amendment that could reallocate millions of dollars to wind energy research. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, all eyes are on Indiana today, as Republican and Democratic presidential candidates vie for delegates in the Hoosier state. Frontrunners Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton hope to move one step closer to clinching their party's nominations. Trump won all five states up for grabs last week, Delaware, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. Clinton won four out of five, with Bernie Sanders winning Rhode Island. Going forward, Trump and Clinton's rivals hope to make a big enough dent in the delegate count to force contested conventions in July. Trump continues to have a dominant lead in the GOP race. Trump has 997 delegates, this according to the greenpapers.com website. Trump needs 240 more to clinch the nomination, which is about 48% of the remaining pledged delegates. Now remember, 1,237 delegates is the magic number for the Republicans. Second place contender Ted Cruz has 566 delegates. Cruz did name former GOP candidate Carly Fiorina as his potential running mate last week. Now time will tell whether or not this proposed ticket will pay off. And a distant third place is John Kasich, with 158 delegates. That's why today's contest in Indiana is critical. For Republicans, 57 Indiana delegates are on the table, awarded winner-take-all by district and statewide. Now for Democrats, 83 delegates will be at stake today, and they'll be awarded proportionally. Clinton has 2,154 delegates going into today's race, and those are pledged delegates and superdelegates. As such, she needs only 229 of the remaining 1,199 remaining delegates before July to clinch the nomination. That's less than 20%. Bernie Sanders has 1,411 delegates. 
I'll keep you posted via Twitter on major developments. In other news, Senate Finance Committee Ranking Member Ron Wyden released a discussion draft of legislation last week that, if it was adopted, would change how businesses depreciate assets. Wyden said his goal is to simplify depreciation rules on a revenue-neutral basis while maintaining accelerated depreciation. Wyden's proposal would condense more than 100 depreciation schedules into a simplified six-pool depreciation system for personal property. The six pools are based on each asset's accelerated depreciation class life. So how much would the proposal affect tax credit industries? In short, not much. Some listeners may remember that former Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus released a similar proposal in 2013. Baucus proposed lengthening the appreciation period for residential real estate from 27.5 years to 43 years. Now, lengthened depreciation periods could have decreased the amount of equity available for affordable housing by hundreds of millions of dollars. Wyden's plan, in contrast, retains the depreciation period for residential real estate at 27.5 years. Wyden's plan repeals the half-year and mid-month rules under maker's depreciation, and actually, therefore, the depreciation in the initial year is greater. But that's just for the initial year. In reviewing the proposal, my partner Stacy Stewart in our Dover, Ohio office observed that the calculation does not provide much of an additional positive benefit after that initial year because the proposal extends the period of time in which the assets are depreciated. For investors, Stacy doesn't see any real impact on the time value of money of the altered timing of the depreciation deductions. And, as I mentioned, this is just a discussion draft. Still, Wyden said he hopes that the proposed policies will provide a, a basis for broader tax reform. You can go to the Senate Finance Committee website for more information and to learn how you can submit comments on the proposal. The plan is called the Cost Recovery Reform and Simplification Act of 2016. And be sure to send me a tweet if you've identified additional observations about the depreciation proposal that you believe are worth sharing. In affordable housing news, the ranking member of the House Committee on Financial Services last week introduced legislation similar to a recent HUD memo. This legislation would reform eviction and screening policies to obtain federal housing assistance for those with criminal backgrounds. Representative Maxine Waters, a Democrat from California, introduced the Fair Chance at Housing Act of 2016. This proposal echoes a HUD memo that said that having a criminal record is not a protected class, but there could be fair housing violations in using criminal records to determine eligibility for housing. That memo specifically applies if policies have a disparate impact on one race, national origin group, or other protected class. Waters' bill includes a comprehensive overhaul of eviction and screening policies for housing assistance programs under HUD and the Department of Agriculture. Affected programs include public housing and Section 8, among others. The bill would raise the standards of evidence for eviction and screening. Public housing authorities and property owners would also have to consider mitigating factors, such as how long ago the offense occurred, where the offense occurred, the nature of the offense, and whether the individual is seeking rehabilitation services. The bill would also eliminate so-called no-fault policies that allow an entire family to be evicted for criminal activity by a guest of a household member without the knowledge of anyone in the household. I should note 
This legislation would affect only HUD and USDA properties. The bill would not apply to all low-income housing tax credit properties, but it would apply to low-income housing tax credit properties that operate with HUD assistance. Those properties would be affected. The bill was assigned to the Financial Services Committee, where water serves. Several organizations have announced support of the bill, including the National Low-Income Housing Coalition and the National Fair Housing Alliance. You can find the bill at www.hudresourcecenter.com. In New Markets Tax Credit News, the City of Five Fund last week announced that the Community Development Advisory Board will meet in two weeks on May 17th in Washington, D.C. The purpose of the Advisory Board is to make policy recommendations to the Director of the City of Five Fund. However, the Advisory Board does not advise the City of Five Fund on approving awards program applications. Some of the items on the agenda for the week after next include CDFI fund activities since the last advisory board meeting, the fiscal year 2016 priorities, as well as development of a five-year strategic plan. Meeting discussions will be limited to advisory board members, Treasury Department staff, and invited guests. However, the public can attend and may submit written statements for the advisory board to consider. If you do plan on attending, I note that seating is limited and is available on a first-come, first-served basis. And comments must be submitted to the CDFI Fund by this Thursday, May 5th. In historic tax credit news, a committee of the Ohio Legislature held a hearing last week on the future of the state's historic tax credit program. Last year, the Ohio General Assembly commissioned a study to examine ways to improve Ohio's tax policies. The Tax Policy Study Commission last week discussed the state's 25% historic tax credit. Part of the discussion focused on a proposal to convert the tax credit into a cash grant program. Kent Scarrett, Executive Director for the Ohio Municipal League, spoke at the hearing. Scarrett said that the League supports the current historic tax credit program and would like the program to continue in its current form. He said that, that the tax credit is a tool for municipalities to bolster local job creation, not only when a project is complete, but also during construction. In essence, he said that if the program isn't broken, there's no need to fix it. The state historic tax credit has been a proven success. Since the program's inception, nearly 400 buildings across the state have been preserved using the credit. The historic tax credit is projected to leverage nearly $4.4 billion in private development funding and federal tax credits. Now, I'll be sure to update you on the details of the hearing as more information is released. In renewable energy tax credit news, the Senate last week passed a legislative amendment to restore funding for wind energy research for 2017. The amendment was part of another bill that still faces a Senate vote. The amendment allocates $15.4 million to wind energy research. The increase takes spending back to what it was before a cut was proposed in the bill. And if the bill ultimately passes, the Department of Energy will receive $95.4 million of funding in 2017, this up from the $80 million proposed in the bill. Now, the proposal for a lower level of funding was made by Senator Lamar Alexander. He's a frequent critic of wind energy. The legislation is H.R. 2028, and it's called the Energy and Water Development and Related Agencies Appropriation Act of 2016. The bill was passed by the House last year. 
the Wind Energy Research Funding Amendment was offered by Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, and Jeff Merkley, a Democrat from Oregon. The amendment passed by a 54-42 to 42 vote and is now officially part of the legislation. While the amendment doesn't directly affect the production tax credit, which was granted a five-year extension in December, it has an indirect effect. As Grassley said in promoting the amendment, funding for research promotes the next wave of development of renewable energy. Grassley, as we've noted before, was the author of the original production tax credit, and he's been a key supporter of the credit ever since. This type of legislation is important to those in the renewable energy fields because it helps pave the way for future investment and development. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Also, Nova Grad and Company is hosting the Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credits 101 The Basics webinar. It's this Thursday, May 5th at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. You can register at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.